0: Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. Tom, it's been a while since we've done one of these episodes.
1: Yeah, it's been a while since I've done any. You had an episode last week with Samantha McKenna that was really enjoyable. It was fun to actually be an audience participant or, you know, listener as opposed to a participant. It was a great episode.
0: Yeah, we missed you, but yeah, it did work out pretty well. And um, so, yeah, so I'm excited to have the chance to just catch up with you specifically. We don't have a guest today on the, on the podcast. Um, so we get to do a little deep dive on, on some thought leadership related topics. So that's uh that'll be enjoyable it should be fun.
1: Yep. Looking forward to it.
0: Okay. And so, what we 're going to talk about today is um, seven thought leadership mistakes to avoid, so I know we we 've kind of talked a lot about things that uh, people should be doing with their thought leadership, and today we 're going to talk about a few things that uh, maybe you should avoid uh, in terms of the the work you 're doing to stand out and, and build a reputation and and develop business uh, through your through your content through your thought leadership so um, we can just dive right in here, I think. Uh, I'll handle the first, uh, at least get started with it. But I think one of the biggest uh, and, and one of the hardest things for many attorneys to to grapple with is not being clear about your positioning and, and as a thought leader. And what I really mean by that is being too broad, trying to reach too many people, trying to be too broadly relevant as a thought leader, as a, as opposed to having narrowly focused positioning, um, understanding who you're trying to reach, uh, what you have expertise in, and then building your thought leadership campaigns around those issues. Many lawyers I find want to be widely relevant. They think that if they don't um, seek to build a big audience, they're going to be missing out on opportunities. As a result, um, when the biggest missed opportunity is not Narrowing their focus down to a a specific audience, and and the reason one of the biggest reasons for that, Tom, I think, and I'd be interested in your thoughts on this, is um, when you're when you are dealing with similar situations over and over, which which happens when you narrow your focus down to say a particular industry or a particular market discipline for an industry, is that it's at that point then you can start to see those similar situations over and over and really spot the patterns and start doing pattern matching and really develop deep insight beyond maybe what the generalist could do. And by seeing those patterns over and over, that's when you're able to develop those deeper insights that really make for uh, more engaging, more valuable thought leadership as a result. So I think that's that's one big reason. Um, this, the second one would be, uh, when you have a narrow focus to your thought leadership, as opposed to a widely relevant, uh, broad positioning, is that you know where your audience gathers. So again, we've talked about this before, but um, you can actually essentially make a list and understand what they read, what conferences they attend, um, what websites they're they're visiting, what email newsletters they're subscribing to, and then you can join the conversation that's happening around those uh Water cooler, so to speak, where conversations happening in an industry, and join in that conversation and be uh, be an active participant in it. So, so those are a couple of thoughts I had, Tom. What about you? What do you think about this issue of being broad versus being narrow?
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I, and it's counterintuitive. I think is the problem why people make this mistake because we go into this thinking, well, I want to build an audience and I want to grow my audience. And you know, if I had my choice over a large audience or a small audience the large one on its face sounds better. It's more flattering and it maybe feeds the ego a little bit. But what we're finding is that the way people are consuming media of any kind, whether it's thought leadership or just general entertainment media, is people are retreating to their niches. So we have to kind of, wage the modern war on the modern warfare, you know, paradigm, which is, you know, back, I would say back in my day quite a bit, but back in our day, you know, everyone got their news say from a couple of different sources and in, in town, it might be a daily newspaper or two, and it might be a station on the TV or a station on the radio. And obviously fast forward to today and there's just, we're, we're getting inundated with so much generalism that we just don't have enough time to consume it. And really, you know, I'll take myself as an example. Do I really care about everything that's in, say, the sports section of the Detroit News? Not really. I care about a few teams, and I care very deeply about those teams. So as my own example, rather than just read the sports page in the, you know, daily newspaper cover to cover, I find myself in a very niche blog that only covers the team that I truly am passionate about because they'll do it deeper. They'll have more expertise. um, There'll be less noise. And the same thing is true of now anyone who's a publisher, which is what we're advocating here: that lawyers think like publishers in their thought leadership, written, audio, podcasting, whatever it might be. And so we need to remember that audiences, not just, Consumers and legal services, audiences in general are retreating to niches and to the extent that you can create your own and penetrate it is is going to really have a positive effect on ultimately building maybe not a larger audience, but a more deeply engaged, passionate audience that you can then influence.
0: Yeah, I think that's all critical and, and really insightful. Um, and that it gets to the point of, yeah, you need to, and this kind of transitions maybe to to our, our second um, uh, issue to avoid or... or um, Mistake to avoid, which is uh, you know in order to develop trust and and gain trust with an audience, you need to be showing up over and over uh, with it, which which inf- which counsels to have a narrow focus to your thought leadership so so maybe we can make a transition to to uh, mistake number two, Tom, um, with that in mind
1: yeah it's, I think mistake number two is is not one of necessarily intent but maybe benign neglect, which is we start out with the greatest intention, but then over time you're not consistent or you're not as prolific as you were at the outset and then your content publishing begins to be sporadic it begins to be irregular and then your audience as a result starts to question a whether or not they can truly count on it and trust that it'll be there when they say it will be there or just that the person who's publishing <laughs> is as passionate and devoted as I once thought they were so i think in this again i don't think it's intent it's usually because people get busy, right? And other priorities take precedence. And we find ourselves, we realize pretty quickly that what we're talking about is actual work, which takes away time from our paid work. And so I just feel like this is something that you need to be cognizant of going in, in whatever cadence you're going to commit to, whether you're publishing thought leadership in the written form, or you're doing a podcast, be reasonable about what you can execute long-term and commit to, and then stick to it. It's almost like a diet, don't you think?
0: Yeah, I absolutely do. And, and you know, one of the things that I think if when you, again, when you're consistent with thought leadership and you use thought leadership to develop a practice, I mean, one of the things that it should allow you to do is to, um, you know, have the, be able to build in the margin in your practice to allow you to produce more thought leadership. If you find yourself as someone who has no time to uh, generate thought leadership, it might just mean that you're not you're not able to charge enough from your clients. Like you're not, you don't have enough margin in and profitability in in what you're doing to allow you time to um, dive deep on some of these issues and and again further reinforce your expertise. Um, and it's and it's sort of uh, this chicken or the egg thing, but. Um, it's your thought leadership that allow you to be seen as an expert which is gonna allow you to be retained for uh, better work from better clients at higher rates so so I guess uh, keep that in mind as you're um, thinking about whether you can uh, quote afford to do thought leadership can you afford not to
1: yeah it's funny you, what you said my dad once told me of a you know I was explaining about a, a, a job I had gotten offered like a, a, a gig or a task of some sort and I said I don't have time for this and I don't really want to do it he said Yes, you do. You just, you're not charging the right amount. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, if I offered you $50,000 to do that job, do you think you'd find time for it? And I said, yeah, of course. He said, well, then you're just not charging enough. So I'm reminded of that often is when people say they're too busy. I think probably what's baked into that is they, they probably aren't charging enough or billing enough for their work
0: right they don't have they don't have enough of a of a you know consistent flow of opportunities where they feel comfortable to like dip out of their the busy billable work and actually sit down and do some of the deep work that's required to actually build a practice so um so yeah it's just a matter at the start you know if you're if you're someone who's just getting in and building a practice um it's gonna require a certain amount of discipline it might mean you just have to work even a little harder but When you're putting in that investment that will start returning on that investment in the form of new opportunities which will make you more comfortable in the fact that you can you know the very thing that's going to drive your business forward is the thing you're doing when you're not billing your clients.
1: Right. It, I mentioned it's kind of like a diet and maybe a better analogy is exercise regime. And of course, you don't see results the first week of your new exercise regimen or the, the new diet, but it's only through the consistency and the commitment that over time, you know, you look back and you look down and you've got the six pack abs that you have, Jay. And you're like, wow, <laughs> <laughs> that was worth it. And had I not done it at the beginning and stuck to it, I wouldn't be here today. And so you need that same sort of discipline when it comes to, to content marketing and, and thought leadership for sure.
0: Yeah. So let's move on because I know (laughs) we only got through two and time is a ticking. So let's get on. Let's get on to point three here. You're uncomfortable that we're talking
1: about your abs too. So I get it. Let's go. Yeah. Number three, Jay, what's number three?
0: (laughs) Um, Number three is not establishing a voice. So what we mean by that is um, the whole point of doing thought leadership is to um, meaningfully differentiate yourself from your competition. I mean, ideally, if you're if you have a narrow focus, and you're consistent with your thought leadership, the whole point is to either uh, limit or eliminate the competition that you're facing, and and by that you're essentially extracting yourself from those who are perceived as commodity. Uh, Service providers and you are seen as meaningfully different because you're seen as the expert and as a result people are looking uh, are are interested in hiring you. Um, They don't see a lot of alternatives to your expertise and they're willing to pay more for it if you're simply seen as one of many, then all you're left to compete on price alone. And obviously that's the whole point of, of becoming a thought leader in the first place. So one of the components of becoming a thought leader who's meaningfully differentiated is having a point of view, having a strong perspective, um, having a voice as we call it. So. That is another. You know, this all—all all of this really circles back to a great extent to positioning. Um, the only way to have a strong point of view or voice um, is to really be an expert on a narrow topic. Um, the ability to express a point of view that's unique from from anyone else um, is is reinforced by one's expertise and ability to really see the future uh, as it relates to different issues. So um, that's I think that's critically important um, to and and you know, really a test of that is, you know, if, if I was to read your writing, for example, or if anyone was to read your writing, uh, would it be, could you notice would I, over time, if I read it consistently, would I be able to see something that's written by you, not know it was written by you, but then be able to recognize your voice in that writing? So so that's a test. And, and most lawyers fail that test, frankly, because um, if you think about a lot of blog content, client alerts other types of articles or um, other forms of content that's being produced. It's really uh, more of the same. Um, but there are those who really stand out and have that strong perspective and they, they benefit as a result. I mean, one small example of that, there's a, there's a guy on LinkedIn who I'm connected with. He's a lawyer um, down in Florida. His name is Jonathan Pollard. He has a huge following. Um, he, it, from what I can tell, um, and, and I've never interacted with this person other than just seeing him on LinkedIn, um, but he does... Uh, non-compete work and antitrust work and other forms of litigation. He has a massively strong point of view and perspective and voice. Th- there's no mistaking it. He's super confident. He's obviously very, very smart. He he has his own practice, and by all accounts, looking from the outside in, he's very successful. Um, but you know, he has a he has a huge following on LinkedIn, and every post that he puts up there gets tons of engagement. Some of it's very challenging, and people disagree with him. Um, but for the most part, you know, he's got a wide, uh, very wide, very uh, vocal, very enthusiastic um, fan base for his for his work, for his writing, for his point of view. And I think that's someone who, um, you know, I look to and I think of voice and I think he's got it. Yeah.
1: And uh, I, I don't know him, but I know of people like him. I'm guessing po- he's polarizing in a way and maybe not completely like off putting to certain people like you know, the modern political discourse, but is he polarizing where he's, he, very he's got fans, as many fans as detractors probably. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So that's, that's when it's done really effectively. That's, you know, not in everyone obviously too. And I'm, I'm recalling a conversation we had when Rich Bracken was our guest um, about establishing voice. And I think the, the easy way to do it, it, probably the smartest way to do it is, is trying to inject authenticity. So whatever your voice is, um, let that shine through. And I think, you know, if you mentioned earlier lawyers, if they fail at this, I think it's probably more so than failing in trying to be something that they might not be, or that they something, something that they wish the audience perceives them to be, which is very smart, very sophisticated. And in that they start talking, like, you know, talking like a lawyer. And really what Rich would tell you if he was serious: talk like a human. And I think that's the voice that will ultimately endear yourself to a larger audience. You don't need to be polarizing. You know, John Pollard's a, a good example of one way to do it. But another way is just be yourself, right? And, and let that personality shine in your work. And that will be an easy way to do what you suggested earlier, which is to be uh, replicable so that people start recognizing your voice and expecting your voice and say, you know, even without the byline, I can tell you this is something that Jay Harrington read, for example, or wrote, I'm sorry.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's a great point, Tom. It it is about, you know, the the overused term of authenticity to an extent, but it's, it, it really fits here. Um, And, and yeah, you, you, a strong voice could be a, a, a sense of humor mixed into your content. Um, oftentimes I see what I see people do effectively is they're, they're combining their interests sort of outside of the law with their expertise within the law. So, you know, I know um, different uh, thought leaders in the legal space who who are clearly... Um, passionate about history, and so they they bring in anecdotes and stories from history to try to illustrate, you know, topics of of today. Or it could be sports. I know of one um, attorney who oftentimes discusses the leadership uh, techniques and tactics of Nick Saban, uh, Alabama football coach, and blends that I know, <laughs> and, bl- <laughs> and blends that into. Uh, well, he's got the Michigan State connection too. So you really hate. Uh-huh. That. <laughs> And, and and they just pounded Michigan in the, in the uh, bowl game. But well, how did um, we get on
1: to this topic? Wait. I don't know.
0: <laughs> I think hey, go I, ahead. yeah, subtle subtle provocation by me there. Uh <laughs> yeah. Nick Saban reference. But but yeah, so so in any event, I think thinking about ways to um you know blend your interests into your thought leadership, even if they don't have any Direct relation to the law is a way to again make your content stand out, and and as opposed to you know much of the content that is is indistinguishable from other attorneys. Right. Yep. Well, let's move on to number four then.
1: Number four is something that I had written way back when, when we were in the early stages of planning this podcast and we were trying to come up with topic ideas. I wanted to do a whole episode on something that I wrote that maybe looked silly in the show notes, maybe why we never got to it, but I wrote the words, blogging is not an activity. And what we have today for our mistake is not marketing your content. And what I meant by blogging is not an activity is I think too often people think like the, the act of creating a blog is the end itself. And because you've done it, you've checked a box and you've written a piece of content, you shipped it off to marketing and now it's their job to take it from there. And I just feel like in today's world where there's so much content being produced, but so much of it is just subpar that that just runs the risk of just blending in with everything else that's out there. And you can't be a true thought leader if you're just doing what everyone else is doing, nor can you be a true thought leader if you regard it only as a task to get off your plate. So once you've written a piece of content, that's just the beginning. And I know we've been talking a lot about this, Jay, but there's all sorts of things you can and should in it must be doing to really stand out beyond just writing the article
0: yeah it's it's really about i mean you want uh, the the ideal situation is you know you're if you're producing thought leadership what you're doing is is articulating a vision for the future right you're it's um it's some unique uh, point of view again that that is is something that you have crafted um, and you're delivering to an audience and you're and you know you, Oftentimes you're doing that quote for free, um, and what you're what you're trying to do is start a conversation. So think of marketing as like engage, continuing to engage in the conversation. Otherwise, it's just a one-way communication, and you don't want that. The whole point here is to develop um, a an audience that's going to stick with you and ultimately see you as the expert who's the right person to hire for a, a, an engagement. Um, and Uh, endearing yourself to them through continued conversation, um, sharing that content and social media, responding to comments that other people are leaving, um, engaging with those who are sharing your content itself, Um, continuing to uh, share those ideas is the thing that's going to um, make your ideas uh, reach a broader audience and, and, and attract the type of, uh, Uh, attract the type of attention and the type of new business that you're hoping for. And that that takes time. And I think one of the problems with uh, many attorneys is that they perceive it as like they feel like they're overdoing it. Right. If they they think, well, even if I'm just sharing something on social media, if I do that once, that's enough. Like I otherwise I'm bothering people You have to understand that uh, it it takes a consistency of effort just because you share something once or email it out once doesn't mean that you know, a majority or even even a small pl- plurality of your audience is seeing that content. Um, you've got to be consistent. You've got to keep putting it out there and you've got to stick with it if you want it to make a difference.
1: Yeah, and we got that question when we gave our talk in Chicago for the LMA about uh, trends and thought leadership, and someone raised their hand and and said, you know, I have an attorney who says, once we've emailed it out once, I don't want to keep bothering people. And it, it just, it isn't true that even a majority or even, a, a like you said, a plurality of people are going to see your content the first time you send it out. And I've never once um, come across somebody who said, why did you send this out twice? And I do that constantly yeah. on Twitter right? I vary the tone. I vary the, the voice, whatever. I vary the time of day that I share things. And so, and you just can't, you can't um, make the presumption that there's this complete overlap in the Venn diagram of your social media followers and your email subscribers. And right. So you just got to be, there's no harm. And you've done all the work to to create the piece, like do the extra work to make sure that it gets seen. And Another piece that I would add on to that is maybe encouraging our listeners, whoever's listening to this, to go back to the episode in which we talked about content business development. So we're talking about content marketing in this case and doing all the marketing things that are obvious, but to think about how your content can help you further down the sales funnel when you're actually engaging with maybe prospects that you've either started conversations with or want to start conversations with. In that episode of our podcast, uh, probably around episode seven or eight or so, had a bunch of different ways that you can use your content to directly interact with constituents, you know, on a one-to-one level as opposed to one-to-many. So don't overlook those as well. It's, it's stuff that you can use throughout the marketing, sales, and, you know, the entire process of, of business development.
0: All right, so let's move on to number five here. And this is a drum we've been beating for a while, but it's not publishing enough of your content off of your own firm's website. So, the 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 sort of the corollary or the, the opposite of that would be publish more content on websites that aren't your own firm's website. So, in this case, what we're what we mean is, um, the, in the typical scenario, a lawyer might draft a blog post, send it to the marketing department. They'll put it up on the, the relevant blog, and then um, you know they'll they'll typically email it out. Um, that, that's good. Everyone should have uh, you know a robust. Uh, thought leadership uh, body of work on their own website uh, but the big missed opportunity is not going beyond that and finding publishing opportunities uh in in other forums and other domains so uh what we recommend is again uh, against talking about circling back to positioning if you're if you're narrowly positioned and and you have a, a focus to your thought leadership then you'll be able to identify the publications that your audience knows, likes and trusts, is already reading, is already going to for information. Um, the opportunity there then is to, to reach out to the editors or publishers of that, those publications and see if you can have an opportunity to publish your own content in those forums. Um, by doing so, you'll not only reach a uh, a larger audience because you're not just preaching to the choir of those who pay attention to your firm's website, which is almost certainly going to be a smaller audience than that, uh, which would be paying attention to a, a you know a larger media publication site or an industry focused um, you know journal or or website that's that's targeted to your audience. Um, but you're going to get the reputational benefit of having published somewhere else uh, when people read things in say media outlets say uh you know a a newspaper a magazine uh, a website that has some sort of gatekeeper that um that dictates what's getting published on the site people perceive those who are publishing on those sites as experts Um, they've made it through the gatekeeper gauntlet and they're content's been deemed worthy enough to share with that audience. So you, you get, you get an audience, uh, a bigger audience. You're not just preaching to the choir and you get, you are perceived as more of a thought leader. As a result, people assign more value to things that they perceive as unique, um, or, or, uh, exclusive. And when content is shared on platforms that are, are, um, have gatekeepers, uh, that are That are filtering who can publish on the site, then they perceive that content as more valuable, um, so I think in in two thousand and twenty think about finding those opportunities to to get your content in places that your audience is, is reading and, go, and are the go to sources of information for them. Yeah, and I I wonder if if somebody's
1: not doing that, if it's just either a matter of time or they hadn't thought of it or perhaps a limiting belief that um, it's going to be too difficult to get my content positioned in front of this really prestigious publication, which in reality... Um, I think it's probably easier today than it's ever been before. And I come from a background of public relations where you had to, you know, shoehorn your client's news into a limited, um, you know, 24-page magazine that had, you know, space was at a premium. And you really had to work your tail off to get your client positioned in there. Whereas nowadays, you know, there's mutual benefit to have to these third parties taking your content and publishing it. The obvious is if you have really great content, that publisher wants to share really great content with its readership because that's how they generate clicks and eyeballs and attention and ultimately charge ad revenue. The other is, you know, you're building, um, you're building expertise, you're building some indexable content that helps that publication's search engine, their their, uh, optimization that is, their site is growing, um, they're becoming more keyword relevant, so you'd be surprised maybe if, if, if you think it's extremely difficult to get published, you might be surprised at just how willing someone is to consider publishing your content on your behalf. It's, it's no longer asking or or begging. Like I used to have to do back in the nineties. It's, it's more so it's, there's mutual benefit. I think they're more open to it than you might, than you might think. So definitely add that to your list of of, of things to add to the 2020 toolbox.
0: Yeah. And, and, and I think that you know, and this might be a whole nother episode, but one of the things to keep in mind is that um while and I absolutely agree it's easier than ever in many respects um but it it is still it is still a skill that and and a and a an approach that takes some nuance and and expertise um and it and it depends like the more um the more popular and well read and well trafficked and well respected the publication is, the harder it's going to be to get over that wall or get over that right. gate um and you know, I mean, but but it's not impossible. I mean, and, and you know, I hesitate because I know we, we usually not are, are pitching what we do that often on this show, but like just to get by way of an example of that, um, you know, we have a client who came to us uh, who is a general counsel at a at a um, large company, wanted to become and uh, establish themselves as a thought leader in their industry and and was thinking about just like writing content and publishing essentially on, on, on a private blog. Um, and one of the things we recommended was, well, this content's great, uh, and, and we're helping them to sort of craft that content. Uh, but let's find a better publishing home for it. Like, it'd be a shame if you're just publishing on a blog and yeah, sure. Your social media network might see it, but, um, you know, with, with an understanding of who their audience was, what they were trying to say and how to approach an editor of a publication, not to mention some pre some relationships that, that we built with the folks in that, in the publishing and editorial world, um, you know, with a, with a, Ten-minute email exchange. We will be able to secure a, a twelve-month column for them in probably the the top publication that's targeting uh, their audience. So, so it, it takes it's easier than ever. It does take a little bit of nuance. So you got to have some understanding of like what are editors looking for, what are publications, uh, what will resonate with them from a pitch standpoint, and how do you position yourself as a thought leader who's going to add value to their readers? Because ultimately, that's what it's all about.
1: Absolutely, and. Um... I think that segues to number six, actually, because you're right, there is a nuance, there is a skill. Maybe I took it for granted because of my PR background and it's just been kind of baked into my how I approach things. But one of the dangers that you can you, that you need to avoid if you're pitching your content to a you know third party publisher is to do it in a way that is not overly self-promotional, that you're positioning, you're offering expertise, you're not offering your greatness. So in the same goes for, I mean, that's an overarching sort of mistake that we've identified in just content marketing in general is the danger of being overly self-promotional. And so obviously the whole underpinned uh, reason for doing anything like this is because you're hoping to develop business. But if you go, you know, as we talked about in the previous episode, if you go for the jugular without, you know, offering anything, then you, then you look like a huckster. Right. So, um overly self-promotional when really what you want to be is a thought leader. And thought leaders are like any other leaders, they're selfless, they they cast a vision, they get others to follow. And in doing so, you don't usually have to self-promote that much because I think what if you're doing it right, the audience is gleaning that promotion just through the consumption of the content, they're understanding that you're an expert with particular expertise and a great vision, and they're going to come back for more. And that promotion that you're hoping or that you may be tempted to do explicitly is already happening implicitly.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, that's right. I mean, the thing that's going to, the, the thing that is going to repel someone from you is it, they're, they're never going to hire you if you're trying to pitch yourself. And it, and it, it's just, it's, it's just transparently uh, going to, it's just going to be a transparent uh, view from the from the reader standpoint that that of what you're trying to do, and and you're not coming at it from a position of trying to help the person who's consuming your content. You're trying to help yourself, and that's that's obviously completely antithetical to the whole idea of thought leadership. So um, avoid all mention of uh, or any any um, whiff of self promotion in your content. That being said, um, you know don't be afraid to give people obvious ways to, to find you or interact with you. But in the content itself, like just, just add value. If you can think about that, be helpful, add value, um, be unique, uh, be interesting. The business will take care of itself if, if you do that. Because again, the whole point being you want to be perceived as meaningfully differentiated from the rest of the people out there. And if you do those things and you avoid the self-promotional aspect, you will be. Yeah. Um, So let's go to number seven, Tom. This will this will wrap it up for us. But uh, the the last one is uh, the mistake to avoid is trying to do everything yourself. So this gets back to the whole issue of the ability to actually produce thought leadership on a consistent basis at a high level of quality. And do do busy attorneys actually have the time to do that? And the mistake that's made oftentimes is thinking that they have to do everything themselves, from uh, you know thinking up the ideas to to outlining it, to writing it, to editing it, to you know, promoting it to marketing it like it 's a big job you know from start to finish, um, but th- the whole point is as a thought leader, the-, the real value that you can provide is the ideas, expertise, and insight that is inside your head right you 're doing work again if you 're narrowly positioned you 're seeing some of the same issues over and over you 're spotting the patterns you 're developing in- interesting insights and And the the real job is to uh, again, spot those patterns and and get those ideas out of your head. Now, you don't necessarily yourself even have to get those down on paper. you can You can outsource that work. you can work with writers, you can work with your internal marketing department at your firm um, if you can If you can do a download of your expertise to someone else who's capable of packaging those ideas into content, whether that be video, um, audio, written content, whatever the case might be. Um, you you really your your time is limited to coming up with ideas and other people can can fashion those into um, polished content and then you might go go ahead and, and edit that. But think about it in terms of leveraging your ideas and delegating a lot of the other work that goes into actually taking those ideas and putting them into a form of thought leadership. Um, now. Some of the things you have to be careful of, some of you might be thinking this, and I, I share this concern um, it's difficult one thing it's difficult to do when you're outsourcing um, too much of your thought leadership is is developing that strong voice, that strong point of view, that perspective that we talked about um, earlier um, and and that that's something that is, is is a real should be a real concern for anyone, um, but that points to like having a consistent High-quality partner to work with um, in many regards, who can who can kind of work with you consistently, understand the voice you're trying to uh, project, and and get a sense of it. If you're if you're bouncing around, you don't have a consistent workflow of how to get ideas into polished thought leadership content and you're you're relying on a bunch of different people none of whom really understands your voice particularly well well then that that can become a problem so um there is there are ways to shortcut some of the steps involved in a consistent thought leadership marketing initiative um you just need to identify what those might be and for certain people it might be different if you're a you know if you're someone who's a really strong writer who enjoys it who could write quickly, um, as many lawyers can do, um, then great, you know, write the content yourself. If that's not your bailiwick, well then, you know, and you're more of an ideas person, big picture, well, leverage someone else who is a really strong writer um, to do some of that work for you. So just some thoughts on, again, not being overwhelmed by the idea of engaging in thought leadership because you think you have to do everything yourself.
1: Yeah, I don't think we're advocating, we're advocating more so that lawyers um, claim the mantle of thought leader, not that they become expert content marketers, because there's so much that goes into the, the marketing aspect of the content. But uh, obviously, as we said earlier, you want to think about how you market and leverage your content, but whether you're doing that all yourself as an attorney, uh, that might be enough for somebody to say, I, to question whether they have the time for it. But really all we're asking, I mean, in a lot of cases, we're asking for 30 minutes and I use this example in a prior talk we gave Jay, if I, if I can get 30 minutes and I can have somebody there to take notes, um, we might be able to talk out a, an article that we're gonna write, we may be actually record it so that it's a, a podcast episode if the conversation's strong enough, we might have somebody there take the video that we can maybe create a, a one minute video out of this piece of content. So those are all the things that your team around you can do all we need to do is get you to commit to the 30 minutes. And when I say we, I mean, either, you know, someone like us or the your marketing department, all they're asking for is the expertise. They're not asking you to do everything. They, they, they need to get the expertise extracted from your brain, converted into thought leadership. And so that thought leadership can be the fodder for a, a marketing program. So
0: don't be all overwhelmed right. by it. Yeah, no, for sure. So I think, I think that's a good place to stop, uh, if you agree, Tom. And I hope people got some value out of this. I would say that- you know we, we we mentioned seven different mistakes to avoid um to me you know number one was number one for a reason which is not being clear about your positioning having too broad a focus to your to your thought leadership approach if you can fix that and become more narrowly focused and have a real strong um a, a real strong uh, but narrow focus to who you're trying to reach, um, that's going to solve a lot of these other problems and help you avoid a lot of these other mistakes. Because um, you're not, you know, you're never going to run out of ideas. Uh, you're going to have more ideas if you're narrowly focused because you're going to be thinking about the same types of issues and spotting those same patterns. Um, you're going to be more energetic about thought leadership because you're going to. Um, Generate more results out of it you can have a stronger voice because it's gonna be uh, you're gonna be producing content in an area that you're a real strong expert in so all of these things um, flow from positioning and, and from my viewpoint so if you can focus on one thing think about how you can you know just narrowly focus in on um, a a topic or an industry or um, ideally a a single market, a single service discipline and for a single um, target market or industry, you're going to have a lot better results from what you're doing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Deeper, not wider.
0: Yep. So, um, thank you for joining us today everybody um if you're getting value out of this podcast one thing you can do to help us is to tell a friend and perhaps leave a review or or a rating on on itunes that helps other people discover the podcast and we appreciate uh you listening hope your uh, new year's off to a great start and we'll be checking in next week with another episode thanks tom
1: all right see you jay
0: see you later Thank you for listening to the Thought Leadership Project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com.